Over the centuries, therapy has gone through very different and multiple stages. From the bloodletting of the Middle Ages to the telehealth that we see now, we today on the What About Therapy podcast are going to be talking about the different forms of mental health treatment has taken. So let's get into it. All right, well, welcome to episode 40 of What About Therapy? Four zero. The big old four zero. This is huge. I know last week we were saying we'd have a guest, but... The guest is our excitement. That's our guest guest today. (laughs) We're really excited about this topic. Yeah, but do know that we are having guests. We're getting things together right now. It's a matter of finding dates to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. So... Because we're Stand busy and they're that. busy. So, but yeah, we're working on it and, but we are excited. We want to make it special. So we thought we'd do something a little bit different today. We're just going to be going over, as you heard in the intro, the history of therapy and like, I guess more broadly, the history of mental health in general across the, I guess across the millennia, across the centuries. Yeah. Because it's been so different and weird and I don't even know what to call some of the things yeah. that we're going to be talking bizarre. about today. Very bizarre. Um, and I guess we should introduce ourselves. I'm Austin Ivy, and my wonderful co-host is... I'm Enoch Fossum. Enoch Fossum. <laughs> we're both going to school to be marriage and family therapists. If this so, is your first time, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us, and I hope, you can, I hope you'll stay. Yeah. Because we have a lot of great stuff coming. Hopefully don't especially... scare you too much after today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It'll be good. It should be good. I'm excited. I had a fun time putting it together. Um, yeah, it's going to be fun. One of the classes I'm taking right now, This we went over this, and I didn't know about a lot of it, and so I thought I'd share it with you guys because it was mind-blowing in some instances, and um, you'll see why. But it's, Free classes. It's amazing to see how far we've come over the years, yeah. treating mental illness and treating illnesses in general. It but, really is, and we'll have some head scratchers here soon <laughs> and it starts right off the bat we can just get right into it um, we're gonna go to the ancient treatments so some of the oldest i guess modalities treatments that people would use um, physicians doctors shamans i don't know what to call them they would long, people would go to long time ago and so in a galaxy um, far far away <laughs> yeah you would think um, we're on a different planet with some of these and i i would i really wish they were but unfortunately they are our ancestors but this comes from an awesome. article from everydayhealth.com um, just titled Worst Mental Health Treatments. <laughs> so you're going to see where we're going to get into with this. Um, that's where some of it comes from. This this first little bit, that's where it comes from because they really were bad. Um, but a direct quote about ancient times. It just says here that perhaps one of the earliest forms of treatment for mental illness was trepanation or also called trepanation. I can't even read that. Yeah, which involved opening a hole in the skull using an auger, a bore, or even a saw. By some estimates, this treatment began 7,000 years ago. That was crazy. Although no diagnostic manual exists that time, from that time, experts guessed that this procedure to remove a small section of the skull might have been aimed at relieving headaches, mental illness, or presumed demonic possession. And so that was the one that I read into the article more, and you can read it into yourselves if you go to the link in the show notes, oh, is that the idea gosh. was if you opened the hole... Because they, th- they had the idea that the problem was in the brain, mm-hmm. but the problem wasn't a chemical imbalance, that it was a demon inside your head. So by opening a little door for the demon, <laughs> they could then talk to it and convince it to come out. Uh, that was some of, that was, yeah. that was one of the attempts that like priests would do, is they would like attempt it to come out. And that was the best way to, you had to 
you had to open a door for it, so let's yeah. open, let's put a hole in. And <laughs> if you go to the article, there's a pretty nasty picture of. Yeah, I was gonna say like if a, you Google it, there's skulls that they found yeah. with holes in them. Like just a from this little circle, like a, maybe yeah. an inch in diameter, like which a is, golf ball hole. Yeah, you could fit something substantial in there. It's just your brain exposed yeah. to open air, and so you wonder why people had such low um, longevity in their lives. <laughs> like, the, I think the life expectancy back then was like thirty-five, and you wonder why. But like, yeah, they were doing I, stuff like yeah. this. Yeah, I know it's probably terrible to laugh, but that's all you can do at this point. Is, it's it was seven thousand years ago. I think we can joke can, about it now. You can just <laughs> laugh, and I mean. I don't know. Like, if you put yourself in their shoes, what would your what would you think to do? You know, I mean, with the knowledge that they had. You bring up a good point. Yeah. So what what would you do? Like, I don't know. <laughs> That's Austin's diet That's my coke. My diet coke. I was gonna try to drink it. It's not gonna work. Um, I'm just gonna leave it. Hey, go ahead. Um, That's yeah. episode forty. Yeah, just we're having fun. We're opening up the bubbly. <laughs> diet coke. Because that's all I drink. But I, I think you bring up a good point. If you put yeah. yourselves in their shoes with yeah. so minimal, like no idea technology, of, really. They had no like physiological idea of what bio, like what biology was. Like the, the understandings yeah. of, of medicine were so low, and so if you yeah. compare that to the idea of medical, like or mental health, it, it, seeing someone who has schizophrenia or someone who has clinical depression or panic disorder, and you're just a normal person at that time, and you see them having a panic attack over something. Yeah, that would probably be a really like I, I would know what I would do in that situation because even as yeah. a modern day understanding of therapy, I see someone having delusions from schizophrenia, and it's it can be not frightening but very hard to understand. But of course, I have that idea of what it really is and how we can yeah. treat it. And but I, it's a good point to bring up that I guess you can't put too much blame on them. They were just doing the best they could <laughs> they with trying. what they had. They were trying to help, right? And I mean, this was. This was like 7,000 years ago. And if you think about that, Jesus was on earth 2,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so this is like early Bible times, to put that in perspective, like almost the Genesis. Like the earliest human histories that we have, like modern human history. Yeah. Yeah. Modern, quote unquote. That's a really long time ago. And so I, I don't blame them for trying. At least they tried. They were trying to do something, man. I mean, <laughs> and it doesn't get much better as time goes on, at least for the yeah. next little bit. But right, it, yeah. they're trying their best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's one thing that you know. When we die, if we get a chance to go look at any point in history, that's one one moment that I'll go check out. Yeah, I'd love to see, see what, what was going on there. Just talk to someone from them that was, was like one of the yeah. What was the thought process? One of the doctors, here? like. You okay like is this a, like what was the idea here yeah but... is your hole fixed in your brain <laughs> oh, man. all right anyway so moving on we now we're going to the middle ages this is a quote from the article here so it says due to a misunderstanding of the biological underpinnings of mental illness signs of mood disorders schizophrenia and other mental woes have been viewed as signs of demonic possession in some cultures. So pretty similar to... It didn't change for a long time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So as a result, mystic rituals such as exorcisms, prayer, and other religious ceremonies were sometimes used in an effort to relieve individuals and their family and community of the suffering caused by these disorders. So there you go. Just more... Uh, Yeah, I mean, hey, you know, I'd rather take someone praying over me than drilling a hole in my head. Yeah. For sure. A little bit better. Misunderstanding, but better than getting the, the saw to the 
to the dome. Saw to the noggin. <laughs> a little yeah. bit better. And I guess that was yeah. that was the best case scenario for some people. <laughs> Other people, um, very often women, would be prosecuted as witches because of their mental illness. Uh, during this time, it was very pom- common to burn witches at the stake. She's a witch. She's a witch. <laughs> yeah, Monty Python type of thing. In the here. Holy Grail. Yeah. Um, How do you know she's a witch? <laughs> Does she float? <laughs> She weighs more than a duck. She's a... <laughs> yeah. Anyway. A um, duck. Is that what it was? Ah. No, you float like a duck. What also remember. floats on water? Oh, yeah. Really small pebbles. <laughs> really small pebbles with holes in them. <laughs> a duck. Ah. Yeah, yes. Right you are. <laughs> so that was the... I mean, that kind of shows the idea of what they were going through. Their yeah. logic was yeah. very flawed. And um, it showed, obviously, because they thought the people were possessed by demons. And the, the women that showed... The more, I guess, like the mood disorders, I think that that was the understanding. It was more mood disorders and schizophrenia, like mm-hmm. bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder. Those are the kind of women that would be prosecuted. I think yeah. men too as well. But it was more specifically women that, would, yeah. that were getting burned alive for being a witch, even though it was just schizophrenia or some type of mood civilization hey, disorder. In the Monty Python, she really was a witch, so... That's a good that's point. That's why she was let's, burned. Let's, let's not forget that, but... <laughs> Middle Ages weren't much better than the ancient times. We still have a long ways to go. Um, yeah, this but... is brutal. Hang in there. It's going to get better. It will. <laughs> Not yet. But uh, yeah, I guess now 17th, 18th, 19th century, we're all pretty, the practices were pretty similar. You, you, we saw some changes, but not much, because during this time, it's hard to, to specify when bloodletting was a common form of mental illness treatment. Um, and for those of you who don't know, that would be purposefully draining a certain amount of blood out of a person's body. And this was, I think, from my understanding, this was a common form of treatment for any type of illness. Like, Mm. um, it was like, problems with blood was like, that was the idea, I think, back then, that if you... Like, if you feel sick, it's your blood. It's your blood. You got to fix the blood. It was some, like, some type of bodily fluid that needed to Mm. be fixed. And so... It's a good thought. The idea is that, like, and it was mainly physicians that were behind this. They thought they could, by draining the blood, they could get rid of the issue causing the mental illness. And... I could be wrong on this one, but one of the big things was like with depression, like those depressive symptoms, they saw it as like a broken heart type of thing. Like that whole idea of like a broken heart and that actual connection, like the emotional heart is connected to the physical heart. Mm -hmm. That if you like drain the blood, all the, all the bad blood, like I guess pun intended, all the bad blood, if you drain all the bad blood (laughs) out, then that gives way for new blood to get rid of the problem. But it ended up killing a lot of people. And this was happening as um, late as the 19th century, so Civil War times. This was still going on. Wow. And so from my, from, from my understanding, and um, it's, it's unfortunate. But, yeah, that was happening even just 200 years ago. This was still happening. That's so, pretty crazy. Bloodletting. Bloodletting. <laughs> yeah, that's why I don't really donate blood anymore. I don't want that to happen to me. Just that it's you... common bloodletting. You're just depressed? We're going to keep letting it flow. I'm just kidding. That's not a reason we do. We donate blood, okay? We donate blood to help others. Anyway, moving on. But many people viewed mental illness at this time as incurable and therefore were left to family and sometimes put in prison to ensure they did not harm themselves or others. And, I mean, to a point, depending on the mental illness, they're right. They're true. Oh, yeah. It wouldn't be curable. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And unfortunately, some of that still happens today. 
where they're just not necessarily put into a prison, which we'll talk about here in a second, mm -hmm. but they are left to family. And a lot of the times the family doesn't want them. So they put them, put them in care centers mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm sure people have different views on care centers to, you know, they say care centers in quotes. It's not really, if you've been in a care center, some of them really aren't some of the them greatest. Some of them don't care. <laughs> yeah. Some of them, they're don't care, care centers. Yeah. <laughs> don't care centers. Like, have you ever seen, is it Happy Gilmore? That one where, have you seen that movie? Yeah. Uh, Long he time drops ago. His, drops his grandma off at the old folks care center and Ben Stiller is the lead activities director. And he like is super authoritarian and is like, if you yeah. don't go to bed, <laughs> yeah. I'll make you go to bed. <laughs> It's really, it's a really yeah. funny movie. But where do you think they got that from? It actually happens sometimes. It, and that, we're going to talk about that with institutions and asylums. But yeah, that was before there was asylums where there was least treatment going on. Like people like with schizophrenia specifically and other um, delusional behavior disorders would just get put in prison if families wouldn't take care of them. They just throw them in jail, throw them mm -hmm. in prison, just so they wouldn't be a problem in society. So, I guess. And like, again, like you said, to a point that it can be helpful for some people because they deserve to live, but they need some support. Yeah. And so we'll talk about patient in patient care centers and asylums and stuff like that and where they went wrong, where they went right. But at this point, it wasn't very good <laughs> in the late 19th century was when that was pretty popular. Interesting. So, but now going, going into the, now going into the early 20th century. Um, so in the like late 19th century, early 20, early 20th century, we saw a shift from like putting it on families and like in the prison system to take care of these individuals that have these problems. And that's this is when we saw the private and public asylums, like the mental hospitals really started yeah. to pop up and they were really popular. Um, and that became the primary source for mental health treatment. And it wasn't really just treatment, quote, treat, unquote. quote unquote treatment. Yeah. It was more like tossing the responsibility onto someone else. And it was even you, the idea to think is like, it was always just people with schizophrenia or really bad mental health disorders or really bad clinical depression and even down to people that just got postpartum depression and just generalized anxiety they would just get thrown into these asylums and get these really intense treatments just because we didn't no one really know how to treat them properly and since that was the norm people would just get thrown into these asylums when they really just needed the more modern forms of therapy that we're going to talk about here in a minute but yeah unfortunately a lot of people got wrongfully put into these asylums there, like we said, there are some people that it's really good for them to be in these treatment centers. Like there are good treatment centers out there that people can be put into. Unfortunately, there's less good ones than bad ones, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah. Because it's just, yeah, we won't get into that. But that that was the common form of treatment back then in the early 20th century, around like 1910, 1920. This was really popular. Um, and at these tr asylums, the common treatments included electroconvulsion electro therapy, Deep brain stimulation, which is a form of um, electric therapy. Um, isolation therapy was when they would just throw you into a room like a padded with padded walls and a straight jacket. Yeah, I was gonna say the straight jacket. And so like your yeah. mental asylum haunted houses, like unfortunately that was a reality for people that you yeah. just get thrown into these padded rooms, strapped to a bed. Um, like if you've seen the movie Joker with Joaquin Phoenix, like the I haven't seen it Arkham yet. Asylum, mm -hmm. that like with the Batman movies, the Arkham hospital that was a that's kind of like what it was and that's why there's like this stigmatized mental hospital thing that's what it was and another big thing that happened in these mental health hospitals were lobotomies and other forms of psychosurgery 
removing certain parts of the brain that were thought to mm-hmm. hold certain problems. So if like you were mm-hmm. really anxious, they would take out a certain part of your brain or if you were clinically depressed, they'd go in and like snap your corpus callosum, which is the bridge between the two hemispheres. And just a lot of different times, types of psychosurgery where they would remove parts of brains or they would, they would insert electrodes into your brain, which was part of the deep brain stimulation. They would put electrodes in your brain and sh- put like a low voltage current through your brain to kind of shock it to reset it, I guess. And for some people with clinical depression, that's actually been proven to work. And for some people, we still actually do it. It's not very often, but with modern day health benefits and modern day health technology, it actually works for some people, but not always. And it's only for extreme situations. I think of the Windows sound when you restart Windows computer. (laughs) That's basically what it's meant to do. Resetting the brain. And for some people, it worked. Other people, it didn't. Um, Some of the more intense and harmful forms of that were people would get put into diabetic comas with insulin comas they just get pumped full of insulin and that would put them into a coma which the idea was to cause a seizure of the brain and like a reset so some of the treatments in those asylums were better than others more so than not i guess that they were pretty bad especially those isolation therapies and the electroconvulsion therapy they would just throw a person on a chair and shock them till they were brain dead because you can't have schizophrenia if you're brain dead. That was kind of the unfortunate reality. Hmm. So Brutal. we saw that a lot in the early 20th century. <laughs> that was the idea that they were going for. <laughs> but <laughs> there you go. It didn't end up being that way for some people. Oh, gosh. But that was the that was the downside of the early 20th century. But we did see, fortunately, and. Thankfully, we saw an uptick of other more positive and helpful forms of mental health treatment as the century went on and as um, the demand for it rose. Yeah, so this is where you start to see people like Sigmund Freud. I know he's probably one of the most well-known people in psychology. I mean, if you've gone to even high school, you've probably heard of Sigmund Freud. You'd be I would coin him as the father of modern-day psychology, or at least the... He started the movement He's, that yeah, we know of. He pioneered, smart. started to pioneer actual. The more cognitive side of things, like thought yeah, processes yeah. and behavioral, yeah. rather than just like the biochemistry part of it. He looked deeper into how our thoughts and our behaviors cause abnormal behavior or abnormal lives, I guess, abnormal psychology. And so he's the pioneer of that type of stuff, the more psychological aspect of it rather than the demonic <laughs> biological. Get on him aspects of that so and he, he is obviously flawed as anyone who's gone through a psychology class even a high, high school yeah. psychology class his theories had flaws but if it wasn't for him we'd probably we'd be very far behind in our we mental would, health treatment we'd still be drilling holes into I, people's head yep that's what that would be your therapy session is yeah. just going to get a new hole i don't know <laughs> that sounded weird but <laughs> yeah a little weird but uh yeah so sigmund freud he did what's called psychoanalytic therapy which is where like psychoanalysis, you would. This is the classic. You lay down on a couch, and he would go through. You would talk about your dreams and the Do memories. Like a free association exercise, where you talk yeah. about anything, and then like we talk about this chair in front of us, and the way yeah. we describe this chair will give us insight to how we yeah. really feel yep. about life. Yep. And you so, have to, it'd be a lot of training to do that. It was um, yeah, hard to. It was hard to quantify, I guess, and to yeah. experiment with. We. There was no way to know if it was really working, and it was all theory-based, right. like extremely theory-based. Right, and I mean, he just assumed it worked, and for some people, I mean, 
this is why it got really popular. It's still for, used today. Yeah, yeah. For some people, it really did work. It helped them. And so, I mean, get on them. Don't really have anything negative to say. I mean, of course, like Austin was saying, there are a lot of flaws, but hey. It started a movement. Started like, a movement. Yeah. And without him, we wouldn't be where we are today. So Shout out to Sigmund. Shout out to Sigmund Freud. <laughs> if you're listening to this, Sigmund, we're a big fan. <laughs> I'd love to meet you. Interesting. <laughs> Please don't analyze me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a lot of his followers, even today, are called Freudians. Mm-hmm. People who lean more towards yeah. uh, his theories. But I don't think I'd consider myself a Freudian. Maybe Not a quite. little bit. Just a tiny bit. But... No. If anything, we're Hazians. Yeah. <laughs> Hazians. Hazians. Harris, Harrisites. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> So now, leaving the late 1800s, early 1900s, we're going into modern mental health treatment. And I mean, I guess not even early 1900s. We're talking like 1980s. Yeah, 70s, 80s. Um, Well, it's 60s. Yeah, because around the 60s, that's when we... It's 1950s was when the first psychotropic medications, so like... I think Prozac, like the modern day, what we call Prozac now, was hmm. one of the first ones. Kind of a equivalent to Zan, um, Xanax, I guess. The more like the mood stabilizing drugs, hmm. things that could okay. that you could be give someone with bipolar or the antipsychotic drugs. These we saw these drugs come out in the fifties, sixties, and that that's that kind of pushed what we call the deinstitutionalization Big of word. the United States. We're all these people can now get treatment that helped them, like I guess more biological treatment with pills and medication. But it did help them, especially the schizo- mm. people who dealt with schizophrenia and people who dealt with mood disorders like bipolar. They were able to get this psychotropic medication to help stabilize themselves and then they could be contributing members of society. And there was a huge movement to move away from asylums and inpatient institutions. And so that that happened, like, like you were saying, like the 50s, 60s, and then we moved more towards... And as that was happening at the same time, there was a huge push for more cognitive, behavioral, I guess that's leading into the next thing, the <laughs> therapy, therapy, the hmm. CBTs of the world. And we, yeah. we get into the more psycho like therapy, the talk therapy, things like that. Yeah. So in the 60s, Aaron Beck, who was the founder of CBT, he started practicing CBT, presented this idea of cognitive behavioral therapy cognition is a simply a fancy word for thoughts Mm -hmm. and if you've listened to the early episodes of this podcast anyway talk heavily on cbt how it's just about changing the way you think which will change the way you feel which will change the way you act Mm -hmm. kind of a cycle that way and one of the most famous cognitive behavioral therapy therapists that's still alive currently is David Burns. And he was, he's also one of the pioneers of CBT and mm-hmm. he's helped, or he was under Aaron Beck, I believe. Yeah, the founder. He, he was studied taught by, under the, studied under Aaron Beck. And so he's I mean, literally the OG of CBT. And he has a book we've talked about several times, especially the first like four episodes of, this is really the, first four episodes of the podcast actually, a year ago, yeah. yeah, was on his newer book called Feeling Great. But in the 80s, he published a book called Feeling Good. And I mean, great. That's a 
genius name. Feeling great and then feeling good. It's mm-hmm. Nice. Awesome. So you did their David Original. good job, yeah. <laughs> but they're they're great books. And that's really what helped CBT gain a lot of traction mm-hmm. was um, not necessarily the book only, but CBT was gaining a lot of traction already at this time. The David Burns book, what he's been doing, along with other therapists that are huge on CBT, have really pushed it. And it's one of the most, if not the most used, I'll say it's the most used therapy modality in the world today. Yeah, based off of the psychology class I'm taking right now, it's, I don't know when the statistic comes from. I think it's 2016, so it's a little Mm -hmm. bit older. I think it's something like 47% of therapists consider themselves primarily CBT therapists. That's massive. I wrote um, a, sorry. No, and then I think the next one was like an eclectic approach. It was like 20% take a, they don't consider themselves just one modality. But the the Mm -hmm. biggest, based off of that 2016 survey of practitioners in the United States, it was something like 47%. So the vast majority of therapists practice this modality primarily. I believe it. Yeah. I wrote a book, or I wrote a book. I didn't write a book. We're low-key re- working on books right Trying now. to. Just yeah. have you know. Anyway, I wrote an article for a class a couple semesters ago on CBT. And I read an article titled, like, The Gold Standard. And it its whole um, premise of the book, or article was how CBT is the gold standard of therapy. Mm. And that's what a lot of therapists think today. And if you've listened to at least the past 10 10 episodes, (laughs) you know, you'll know that we don't feel that way. But at the time, especially in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, CBT was definitely the favorite and still is. Yeah, and especially when you compare it to the whole drilling of ancient times. It's amazing. It is a gold standard compared to that. And it truly is an effective modality. It's improving to help people. If you could take it from a good, better, best standpoint, um, it's definitely a better thing to do. But as we've talked about multiple times, the best form of therapy, I would say, and I know Yannick would agree, is acceptance and commitment therapy, which actually didn't come too much longer after Stephen Hayes really got it popular in the 80s. Um, Stephen Hayes published his research and published his therapy modality in 1986. He's the founder of Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, which is actually based off of CBT. It finds its roots in CBT, the more cognitive aspect of it. Yeah. And um, a lot of it's based on like the the exposure therapy of that's found in CBT and mm-hmm. some of the other, I guess, exercises that you find yeah, in so CBT. Yeah, CBT aspects. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's if you read through it and you really learn about it, you can... You can see like the echoes of CBT in ACT. Like, yeah. We wouldn't have ACT without CBT, which is what, what makes CBT so important. But yeah, in 1986 is when it was, I guess you could say, published. It mm-hmm. kind of put out in the world. And it, mm-hmm. I guess you could say it kind of got lost in the shuffle of CBT. Like we were talking about this before the podcast started that it's been around just as long as like CBT has. Like a little, like just a as little. As far bit. as like popularity goes, I'd yeah, say. Popularity, like, right yeah, popularity. Right when CBT got popular, it was around the same time as ACT. Yeah, and that's, well. so ACT came out in 1986. David Burns releases his book in 1980, and that's when it really started to kick off. And so it just kind of got lost in the shuffle, but as of late, it's really started to to pick up. And yeah. um, it's getting taught in more graduate programs, from my understanding. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of books that are based off of ACT. And if you looked up Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, you're going to find all types of books and resources and websites, way more than you would have found from my understanding, like 15 years ago, even yeah. in just 2005. 
So we've seen some great um, things come from that, and even ACT itself has went through a lot of changes. People like Russ Harris have taken their own spin on the already really great acceptance and commitment therapy that Stephen Hayes created. Yeah, he and, keeps uh, the same framework, but he yeah. also makes his own changes, yeah, which just, is the cool thing about about both CBT and ACT is they're very flexible as far as what mm-hmm. you can do with them, but you can keep the framework the same while making it your own and making like forming it to the client. Yeah, and applying which is really it to cool. different problems like weight loss yeah. or with like with couples, relationships. We've talked about that in the past, how it can apply to marriage. So then we went from, from that, and now we see this amazing emergence of, of telehealth. You don't even have to be in the same per, in the same room as your therapist. You can never physically be in the same room as a therapist, and you can receive the treatment that you need, even like telehealth for for psychotropic medications. Like you can, like with websites, companies, I guess, they call it like Cerebral, or even just like your, like here in Utah, we have Intermountain Health, which mm-hmm. is the big like hospital company i don't know what you want to call it like it's the big hospital here in utah yeah and you can you can get healthcare treatment and like psychiatric treatment strictly online you don't ever have to leave your house which i guess is a good thing bad thing it's kind of both it's cool it's a a great it really is amazing especially for people who live in rural 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 rural. out in the country people that live really (laughs) far away and they can't afford to or they don't have reliable transportation to get to a therapist or to get to a psychiatrist you can hop on betterhelp.com. You can hop yeah. on Cerebral. You can hop on your, um, I think even just like insurance companies have their own telehealth apps. So you can just hop mm-hmm. on it and be connected to. We even have like um, like hotlines, like suicide hotlines, counseling hotlines that you can call and that are free and you can get help and get pointed in the right direction. Yeah. And that just kind of puts the cherry on top to see how far we've really come from the bloodletting, the drilling holes. Drilling, demonic possession rituals yeah. burning witches institutions like mental hospitals even just not 80 70 years ago we still had these mental hospitals to see we've gone from there to being able to i could right now i could get on betterhelp.com and within 10 minutes i could probably be texting a therapist which is a an amazing amazing thing like i i, I can't i can't even think of like going back even just 50 years right. what it would have been like to be someone with severe depression yeah, and not know what to do and not be able to just get on Google and find help with the therapy. Cause even back then there was the amount of psychoanalyst analytic therapist was like only in the thousands. It was like mm-hmm. three or 4,000 in the forties across the country. There was very minimal. I think the last time I checked that's somewhere in the hundred thousands now with like, even with just marriage and family therapists, there's a couple hundred thousand, I think in, in the Western United States. And just to see how far we've come in that yeah. way. It's it's really yeah. cool. And that's kind of why we wanted to make this episode 40, that we really have come a long way. And it's it's good to reflect back and be grateful on the abilities we have to find treatment. Yeah. I mean, it's unfathomable to think of where we were to where we are now. It's yeah. pretty crazy. And with the things like the COVID-19 pandemic and stuff, like teletherapy and therapy in general has started to skyrocket due to you know, people experiencing more depression and just mm-hmm. more mental health problems in general. Um, but because of that, therapy has just skyrocketed. And like you're saying, even insurance companies now now have their own telehealth, teletherapy they're, app or they're website. They're accepting it more and re- reimbursing for it more. Yeah. You can get reimbursement for your mental health therapy more than you could even just five years ago. It's right. changed so much within just like the last five years. Yeah. Personally, I've seen my insurance plan change. 
That's cool. And so it's it's really cool to see that like real time that it's the stigma's dying and yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like the treatment is getting better. Yeah, it's cool to see the stigma going down. You know, and I like to think that we're we're a part of that on this podcast. It may be small. That's this, the whole point of it. So this podcast is you a know, representation to, of the stigma dying. It is. Two yeah. college students can just get on and talk freely about it, and this wouldn't have been the case ten years ago. Right. It's really it's a really cool thing. Yeah, and so that's what we are continuing to try to do is to get rid of that stigma and to realize how you realize that therapy is a normal thing. It's just like going to the dentist, like we've talked about. It's mm-hmm. just like getting a regular checkup. Your mental health needs just as much check, much checkup as your teeth do or as a broken bone does. A broken just... heart needs the same amount of treatment as not bloodletting. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. As a, as a broken bone. And... A couple of years ago, even, you know, that wasn't the case. It was, you know, shut your mouth and don't talk about suck it. Suck it up, yeah. Suck it up, be a man, or you can't say that because you're a woman, you know? Or, yeah, or vice versa, you can't say that because you're a man. Like, it's, yeah. overall, it's it's been a huge change. and Yeah, it's been awesome. As hard as the pandemic has been on a lot of people, I, I think as mental health, like future health, men, mental health practitioners and specialists, we might look back at this time as an integral time of, of change because you brought it up like we it pushed the need for more therapists it pushed the need to just go to therapy in general and it pushed the need to open up things like telehealth and it's it's cool to see it happen in real time like this yeah. is a part of our experience and a part of your experience too as listeners it's really cool yeah and so if you know of anyone that could benefit from this episode or anyone who wants to is trying to break the stigma go ahead and share this episode with them or any yeah. other one of our episodes if they're not into the history of therapy We've got 40 other episodes, uh, 39. All types of topics. Plus yeah. more. What's that? 47, including our What About series. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of episodes. Go ahead and share it with them. And if you liked it, leave a rating and review. Again, that helps us break down the stigmas. It gets us out there to more listeners in hopes to help them with anything they're going through. Mm-hmm. So everyone, thank you so much for all your support, really, since day one. Episode 1 to episode 40. It's really episode 48. Yeah, technically with the bonus episode. 49. Yeah. With the What About series. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, we're up there. We're almost in the 50s with overall episodes. Yeah, yeah. which is awesome. And we we see you. We don't exactly know who you are, but we do see you. We see the numbers. They're slowly going up. The podcast is growing, and that's because of you. So thank you so much for all that you've done for us. And we'll continue to put out episodes every week. Yeah. Thank you guys. We really appreciate all of our listeners. So it's really a pleasure to to do this every week. Our pleasure. We'll talk to you Thursday. Have a good one. What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? Yeah. What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? What about therapy? What about what about therapy? What about what about therapy? What about what about therapy? Yeah.